This is The Insecurity Project. If you are looking to solve the insecurity problem in your life, rather than just manage it, mask it or medicate it, you have come to the right place. This is the home of high-quality content and conversations about how to overcome insecurity. If you can do that, it's not just good for you, it's not just good for your friends and family, it's good for the world, so it's kind of important. There's some work to do here, but let's go do this work together. Now on to today's show. Hey folks, you're on the Insecurity Project. I'm back here with my dear friend, Greg Bellingham. We're talking spirituality again. That is something that I said I would do more of this year. It's a really central part to what it means to be a human being. And I know no one better to broach the subject uh, with wisdom and grace than this man. So uh, welcome to the show again, Greg. Great to be here. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, okay, so where do we start? Um, we were talking before we, we hit record about defining spirituality. So that might be a, a good place to start and then we can um, see where we go. Yeah, great. All right. So I would, uh, there's, there's kind of a famous guy around Rob Bell who says, uh, and he's got a podcast that many of you might know or, you, or many of you might actually not like Rob Bell if you you're more conservative uh, theologically, but he basically, his thesis is everything is spiritual. Mm. And, and so to kind of narrow spirituality down to one thing is, is potentially uh, is really restrictive. What we, what we might be able to say is that people's experience of spirituality is really diverse. And we talk about, we, we obviously you could have a spiritual experience if you're, part of uh, if you have a particular religion and a particular liturgy or a particular um, spiritual practice you know it could be meditation or yoga it could be going to church it could be uh, it could be you know any of the major religions it could be mindfulness practice or or any of that sort of stuff Um, but it's true enough to say that people also have spiritual moments um, in times of peak performance in times of flow um, so you might be an avid bike rider and for you, you know, you get on that bike and you punch out a bunch of Ks and at some point it goes from just being, you know, a physical task to being a, a luminous experience. You experience something in yourself, you go to a higher plane, you experience a sense of flow or a sense of connectedness, mm. um, can ha- you know, sports people talk about it all the time. Mm. You know, uh, certain golfers say that they just had this ability when they went to hit a golf ball in a competition to everything got blocked out and, and everything just got reduced down to this kind of relationship between them and that ball. And they just got in this zone and stuff happened. And, you know, there's, there's, there's the book that was written by the man whose name I can't pronounce who wrote Flow. Mm-hmm. Mahaley, Chicksent Mahaley. Exactly. He wrote about flow. I can't remember his name. I always call him Chick Leminski, which is not his name. That's his his brother. I have a particular penchant for (laughs) butchering people's surnames. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's me. So he wrote about that flow state. And and so the point being that you can can experience like a luminous or a transcendence 
by doing that. You know. Speaking about flow, um, Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler wrote a book called Stealing the Fire. Oh, nice. And so they reference Mahaley's work on flow. But I, I just was blown away in the first chapter. They talked about the lead guitarist from the Red Hot Chili Peppers who'd grown up in a Mormon uh, experience and a very fundamental idea about God lives here and you can only have experiences of spirituality within these rules. And so, uh, but he, can, he had this very troubling experience when one day he's playing the guitar and he has the exact same feeling that he had in church. Yeah, he's like, yeah, hang right. on a minute, I'm not supposed to be able to access this yeah. out here because yeah. God is there and not here. And so the more he experienced those moments of flow in, in guitar and losing himself, mm. um, the more he kind of went to explore, well, maybe maybe the church doesn't own this ecstasis. That uh, was the word that um, he used, yeah. he used and, and the authors used. Uh, so that, that's so incredible. I think one of the key roles you played in my life early on was just to go, um, I, I grew up in a very um, uh, self-righteous view of spirituality. Like God is with me, not with you. I'm right, you're wrong. Right. My job is to proselytize and tell you where you're wrong and what yeah. you need to do and come my way because mm. this yeah. is the only way that you can find true spirituality. Mm. And you definitely helped me break out of that and realise, well, God or spirit or whatever is already there before you get there and after you leave. Mm. And, um, you know, there's these experiences people are having with no defined spirituality that are just the same as the experience. Yeah. So maybe you could say there's a domesticated version of spirituality. So, um, and I don't want to say domesticated and undomesticated as if, as if the wild experience or the flow experience is in somehow devalidates a, a a more orthodox experience, you know. Mm. So, um, but there are experiences which are common to certain religious, like 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 the experience of God as Father. You know, it has a monotheistic construct. You know, it has. So those a, playing along at home, that means God, God in heaven, one God, one God. Mm. Yeah, you know, singular God. So that's consistent with Christianity. It's consistent with. Israel uh, with uh, Judaism and Islam. Mm. Yeah. So they're your three big monotheistic religions. Um, and for them, you in, in that space, there's, there's going to be a way, there's going to primarily be a patriarchal way about talking about God, mm-hmm. you know, God as father, God as male, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so if you are in a church and and here's the point: if you're if you're in that environment and you have that experience, the interpretive framework around that experience is going to invoke those ideas. Right? It's going to invoke, oh, that was God doing that to you. Like, so when you're in the Christian church, the interpretive framework that you have around your experience is someone's going to go, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. You experience that during worship. That's the love of the Father. So quick, so really quickly, whatever your experience was, there you can frame that in that particular context, and I don't think that that invalidates that context either. Yeah, you know, and I'm not to say that that isn't more that isn't just as real as the person who has an experience of the luminous or the ephemeral when they're riding their bike or hitting their golf ball or mm. when they're gazing at a sunset or when they're sitting on a surfboard or. Mm. Um, my brother-in-law, he's, he's passed. He's, he's dead now. He's passed away. But he would walk into the bush, and 
just that was like a cathedral for him. Mm. You know, he'd just take himself off by himself, walk down some fire trail, and it was a euphoric experience for him. He just felt so connected to that mm. space, right? Um, that that's deep. That's a deeply spiritual experience, with 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 very little orthodoxy or or yeah, doctrine sure. attached. So why do you think it's it's really important for people to understand that spirituality is this broad experience? Why because is that I, so important? Well, I, well, I think it's I think it's important because a lot of the time we. I think there's an enormous amount of insecurity around spirituality. And I, I think there's three things that people do uh, because they essentially feel insecure about their spirituality. Uh, number One of the first things that they do is, is a lot of people maybe listening to this might even say, well, I'm just not spiritual, so this has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may, be having, they may be having, if we talk about spirituality as a level of consciousness, beyond the cognitive, beyond the, the concrete cognitive or beyond the emotional, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, elevated, an elevated consciousness, an elevated awareness. You may be totally, um, you may be experiencing that all the time, but you've been brought up in a space where you go, I don't believe any of that crap. Yeah, sure. So there's a safety around... Dismissing kind of, it. Yeah, and, and having a control of your whole experience and yeah. writing off anything that's... Yeah, it's, that's that airy-fairy yeah. stuff. I'm not into that. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you know, people are really quick to say, I'm not religious. Yeah. You know? So that's, that's one extra... That's, that's one habit is just to dismiss it as mm. a space that you're not interested in. Mm. And I think all that does is it really cuts you out of um, appreciating that as a human, we are in touch with the luminous. We are in touch with the spiritual world. You know, there is a part of us that has an ability to to sense and to feel and to participate mm. at that level. So when you dismiss it, mm. it's like okay, we've shut down a level of consciousness that we. So it's like it's like I'm voluntarily becoming deaf. Like, yeah, right. Why would you do that? Mm. You know, like. What do, you, what do you get out of doing that, you know? Mm. You're cutting yourself off to a whole range of mm. information that you don't have to cut yourself off to. Um, the second thing that people do is they, they might feel like their raw experience in some way needs to be validated by uh, a formal religion. Right. So they, do, so they do what I just said a minute ago. They domesticate that experience. Mm. And then they... And then they uh, then they need to, then they need, whatever they experience personally from that moment on has to be interpreted within that framework, right? Um, and, and that may or may not work for you. It may work for a while. Can you but give it may an example not, of that? Um, well, I think when I, yeah, for me, when I first became a Christian, um, reading, re, you know, I just, when I first became a Christian, I started to read the Bible and it was like, it was just incredible. Mm. But it re- was really my first introduction to reading sacred texts of any sort. Um, but I had this whole idea that, the you know, I wouldn't have put the Bible on the ground and trodden on it because it was a holy book. Mm. You know, there was a whole kind of sacred mythology around the Bible. It wasn't just any book. Mm. And I believe the evangelical credo of it being, inerrant inspired and infallible so um and that really worked for a lot of years i 
I held the Bible with this kind of, you know, holy reverence. Um, and then probably after I left Bible college, unfortunately, it just, it just lost all of that, you know. Um, but in the same time that it kind of lost any vitality, I'd shut myself off from reading any other sacred text because for me, any other sacred text, whether it be Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, they weren't sacred. You know, like the Bhagavad Gita, that wasn't a sacred text. Mm. You know, that wasn't inspired by God. Um, and so I, I was no longer having, a, uh, I was no longer having an intimate experience with yeah. text, sacred texts, mm. spiritual texts, but neither was I permitting myself to explore anything outside my tribe. Sure. It, it domesticated it. Domesticated it. To control it, it, to bring it, make it safe. Yeah, and, and it lost its life. Yeah. I mean, right. this is reminiscent of the form, the essence of form mm, yeah. conversation we had before, but, but you can live your whole life in that box. Mm. Um, and that's, and it, it, that might be the most fulfilling thing that you could possibly do mm. or, or not. Mm. Right or not, um, and there might be many other ways that, that many other things to explore, but that you don't explore because it's not because it's undomesticated, and they don't talk about it as undomesticated. It's wrong. It's mm. it's that binary dualistic yeah, yeah. right wrong black white thing. Mm. So a lot of people stay within very narrow lines, and those lines limit what they. Experience. Well, when I was driving down here today, um, I was thinking about the word repent yeah. because that, that was a very strong word, an important word, a sacred word yeah. growing up in the church. And whenever someone repented, whenever one, someone turned around from the direction they were walking and yeah. came back home, yeah. was celebrated. Yeah. There were all kinds of stories that yeah. made that an incredible thing. Um, but I was just was exploring that, um, thinking that sometimes, not, maybe not every time, but sometimes that, repentance that turning around was a turning back and almost a regression back to, to the domestic yeah, yeah so someone was venturing outside and, and exploring life again but there were no rules for it there was no structure around it yeah they had no way of well, I mean, the, the form yeah, so totally. they had to come back to where it was safe and and let go of this yeah i mean I, I think i think if you go down that if you go down that route of looking at um Jesus is, you know, if we, if we use Jesus as an example, um, Jesus, Jesus came in a period of time. This is a bit detailed, but it's worth it. Jesus came in, what's in, in a period of time called Second Temple Judaism. So the first temple had been destroyed. They kind of built another temple, but it wasn't fantastic, you know, uh, with Ezra and Nehemiah, that whole period. Mm. And then Jesus comes in a, in a period of time as a prophet, most people in Galilee, you know, would have understood him as a prophet. Um, and he comes and he has a message. Uh, he has a message that the temple we, we, we rebuilt, uh, that, uh, that, that Israel, you know, second, you know uh, first century temple, Juda uh, second temple Judaism basically believed that the temple needed to be rebuilt by the king, that the, the pagan oppression needed to be lifted, that the king would sit upon the throne, that God would vindicate his people and that there would be righteousness towards, that righteousness or holiness, which is the ethic of, of Israel's covenant, would be expressed through Torah obedience. And Jesus comes and doesn't do any of those. Mm. He, didn't, he didn't 
renew uh, the Torah, obedience mm. to the Torah. He didn't physically rebuild a temple. He certainly didn't get rid of the Roman overlords. Uh, he was never crowned a king in the truest sense of the word. Mm. Um, so he, he just didn't. Now, you could argue what he did do is he, he bought a version of all those things mm. But the version that he bought was deeply undomesticated towards conservative Second, second Temple Judaism. Mm. So he, here is someone that Christians would hold up as the most spiritual expression of the divine. This is an incarnation of the divine walking amongst us. Mm. But there would be a group of people who were stuck in what I just said was Second Temple Judaism who would have said, totally wrong mm. totally unacceptable mm. and unacceptable because of this 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 and this uh, and so in that you know jesus uses phrases like oh for him he has ears to hear let him hear you know says so this or having he having ears they never hear you know so for him it was like i'm do i'm doing this but i'm doing it in a different way yeah uh, a non in, in a way a non-domesticated way mm. and 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 you know he he was rewarded by getting crucified. That's that's how that's how domesticated they were in that regard. Yeah, the insecurity was massive, and so we just can't handle this. Cannot so see we, will, we will kill you. All right, cool. So the first first is they just you just deny it altogether. Yeah. Um, second second is formalize it, domesticate it, and keep it within a frame. Yeah. Uh, and the third one is to privatize it. Okay. Um, is that my spirituality is about what I believe. Mm. And, and this is where spiritual, and this is maybe where the conversation can go. This is really characteristic of this. The privatization of spirituality is as much to say, this is my thing and it's not really open to you. Mm -hmm. um, and that especially happens when our spirituality is a set of beliefs uh, it, it's a, when it's a constructor that, that includes our ethics, includes our worldview, includes our primary narratives, you know, all that sort of stuff. And yep. all that's bundled up. We say, oh, that's my spirituality. That's what I believe at the core of my being. But because I don't want that violated or because that's so precious to me, I'm going to privatise that. And, and what that really means is you don't get to speak into it. Yeah, right. Right? You, I'm not interested in, you can't critique that. It's not for your critique. Mm. It's my special thing. Mm. Right? Um, so again, clearly an evidence of insecurity because it's like, well, if it was robust, yeah. what are you afraid of? I think all those three things, I think all those three things mm. have flow out of insecurity. The first mm. one is like, I'm just dismissing it because it's scary or it's, it's outside who I see myself as, so I'm not exploring it. I'm not a spiritual person. Mm. I am a spiritual person, but it has to be expressed within this very domesticated, mm. certain, sure, contained space, and anything outside of that is illegal or, or mm. not helpful. Um, and the third one is, well, I might be outside of that or I've got my own private spirituality and I keep it private because it's not safe. To let other people access it. Yeah, well, it's amazing. So, what would a secure spirituality look like? I think it would be a spirituality. That's a really good question. I think going back to the conversation we had to start off with, um, it would be an embodied spirituality. So, I don't, I don't think that we're at a point in time as as we evolve where we can where we can just say 
that spirituality is a set of beliefs. Mm. So there, there has to be uh, what Christians might call an, an incarnational. It has to incarnate itself. Uh, it has to express itself. You know, it has to have some kind of actual outward expression. For those who don't know what the word incarnation means. Can yeah, you... so, so the idea that, uh, you know, as it relates in Christianity, that, that Jesus was a member of the Godhead and, you know, pre-existed prior to his physical dwelling and he was incarnate as a human. He, he, he was God who became man, so mm -hmm. to speak. That's if you have a high Christology and you're a Christ if, you're, if you're a Christian theologian. Sure, so you're saying a secure spirituality would have an expression just beyond an yeah. abstract set of beliefs. It would it has to, I think I think it has to go beyond just a series of beliefs. That's that's very much an enlightenment thing. That's very much mm. a kind of a I can believe facts and those facts translate into well they may not translate into anything. Mm. I mean we're in an information overloaded generation. Mm. We 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 can hold vast number of facts, none of which it can have any form of embodiment mm. or any form of influence or any so so in a way it's possible to hold a whole series of ideas and none of those have any real value mm. real traction yeah sure so how would you know you've got an embodied spirituality what does it look like what is some of the evidence or fruit of a uh, good question that's a tough one I just think it would be some, I think for me, if I come back to myself, um, spirituality comes back to a sense of being grounded in something really authentic. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, uh, a grounded spirituality or a, um, a fruitful spirituality is one where I'm not trying to attain something but I'm actually coming back down into a really grounded version of who I am. So that, that's that conversation about being and doing. Mm. Uh, I think the function of spirituality isn't designed to make you something that you're not. Yeah. The function of spirituality is to ground you in who you are. Mm. Yeah, there's a fullness to your humanity that is expressed. There's, or I would say there's an authenticity to yeah. it yeah, that no. you're, that you're, um, inevitably, you know, you can kind of juxtapose or you can compare spirituality to the whole conversation about ego. If ego was a was me trying to project myself in order to be something, mm. spirituality is the counterforce that says you already were something. Mm. You don't need to do this, this, and this, and this mm. to attain this. So, so, so ego says you need to climb to the top of the tree. For me, spirituality says you just need to fall out of the tree. Mm. You don't need the tree. You already were significant. You already were of value. Mm. Get in touch with, um, Paul Tillich says it beautifully, get in touch with the ground of your being. Mm. Um, I mean, some of the language I use all the time with the insecurity stuff is the aim is to be able to show up with nothing to prove and nothing to defend. Yeah, beautiful. So it's that uh, I am me and I'm here and yep. Yep. it's okay. Yes, yeah, and I think that those kind of things were that coming back to that essential foundation of being i think that i mean all the great religions touch on that certainly christianity did mm. you know like for me you love because you are loved you're generous because god has been generous to you mm. you forgive because you're forgiven mm. um you know you you trust because there's an inherent hope mm. um 
you know, so, so almost, not almost everything, but everything in Christianity wasn't about the, the, the misconstrued religious version of it was you're trying to become holy. The true version of it, the pure version of it was you've been made holy. Mm. So therefore act like it. Mm. Um, you've been chosen and loved. So therefore realize that you're special. You know, you've been forgiven. So therefore be generous and forgiving towards other people. It was, it was all, it was a spirituality that always called, called you back to you've, you're, you're already there. Mm. You've already got this. Mm. Um, and so for me, that that's, coming back to that centred, grounded foundation of what is uh, as, as a priori to whatever we do, yeah. then creates a beautiful foundation to do stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you're not doing stuff in order to become. You're doing stuff because you're already, you're already there, mm. you know. That's mm, beautiful. And um, as billions of people can testify to like an authentic spirituality whenever they've glimpsed it before they domesticated or privatized it or yeah. denied it. Um, they are some of the most meaningful, if not the most meaningful, um, transcendent, beautiful experiences we get to have. Well, I, th- I think so. You know, and I think this is why it starts to, you know, like, I mean, some of the better ideas are like, even in the conversation between theists, people who believe in, in a, in a, in a benchless God and atheists, um, the, the atheist who says there is no proof for such a God, you mm. know, you're Ricky Gervais's, you know, um, fascinating characters. Theism needs, theism needs the purity of atheism, you know, like, like there's something about, like every time a theist says this is God, mm. you know, the atheist goes, no, it's not. Yeah. And there's something inherently beautiful in the atheists who says, no, you can't make that God. And you, you sort of say to the atheist, you can't have an opinion about God because you don't even believe in God. And they say, well, well, stuff you, I do have an opinion. And, and if you want to make that a God, that's just not good enough. It has to be better than that. So there's this yeah, beautiful yeah. kind of. That's so cool. Um, have you heard Ricky Gervais's, um, his talk about a Noah's Ark? No. <laughs> Um, he does a whole stand-up routine yeah, about yeah. Noah's Ark, and he just he just reads the story, and right. just really like yeah, that yeah. that you know, and and it's just so beautiful because um, he comes at it from saying this is complete rubbish, but the pushback just to go, yeah, that does lots of it doesn't even make any sense. It's a strange story, yeah, yeah. and yeah. sure, I can't to get out of your brain and the domesticated or privatized or versions of it, just yeah. goes, you have to, you have to, into, you have to enter into that conversation just to go, yeah, that is a weird story. Yeah. So what yeah, yeah. could it mean? Like, yeah. And I think Ram Dass does that. Ram Dass kind of says ongoingly, it's, it's, this, it's all true and mm. it's all weird. So he, yeah, yeah. he's kind of the opposite of Ricky Gervais. Right. He says, you read this stuff. It's all true. Mm. And he goes, it's really weird, you know. And it's almost like I've found in my own spirituality is like, will you give yourself permission to be really weird? Mm. Um, Mm. You know, you're 55, you're wearing beads. Yeah. You know, like, 
and your problem and, and, and you your problem is war. Poncho on him in the I did have a weird poncho. I made you take it off. Yeah, you did. You did. You know, <laughs> Just to like, domesticate you a yeah, little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's like, what's your problem? You know. And the problem is, well, uh, what if what if that or that has real significance for me? Yeah. Do I do I put that away because it's not acceptable, or do I go? No, I just I got to I got to buy into that significance. Right. It might not be it, it, the significance of someone else might be they look at me and go, "You're just a try hard loser." Mm. But the but it, but to me, mm. it has substance, right? Mm. And so maybe we could say that spirituality is is allowing that allowing the things that have substance to find a voice or to find an expression, but not be privatized at the same time. So for you to actually go, if this is real and robust, it's going to be weird. But that weirdness has to show up in a in a way that yeah. is generous yeah, and beautiful and, yep. and and does some good in the world. Yeah, I, I I don't want to be the kangaroo that is in the field going, my front legs are really short. Yeah. I'm really disappointed. You know what I mean? Or the hair that's got really big ears and go, oh, I just don't want anyone to see my ears. Mm. You know, like if it is bringing me back to something that, is essential and true and grounded and and uh, puts me in touch with the most authentic expression of myself, mm. which simultaneously will be the the, the higher expressions of myself. Mm. Um, then allow it, mm. allow it, you know, mm. and don't just allow it in the privacy of your own home. Mm. Just allow it, and uh, mm. you won't please everyone, mm. but that's not the point. Um, that, that feels like an okay place to end that conversation. Obviously, we, we could riff about this for a long time. Yeah. Um, anything more to add to um, that idea at this moment? Yeah, no, I, I, I think wherever I, I love the two words, I love two words, and I shared them in an email with someone this week, and you, you even mentioned them earlier just when we were talking. I, and Ram Dass uses them all the time, loving kindness. I think the conduit for genuine spiritual stuff uh, in anyone's life and in a connected collective sense yeah. is loving kindness. Yeah. Um, loving yourself and being kind enough with yourself to allow yourself to be who you are. Yeah. L- loving, loving the people that you come across with sufficiently to let them be mm. who they are mm. uh, and and whilst loving kindness is are the easy words to say the implication of them mm. um, is really to start to extend a radical freedom mm. to both yourself mm. and to other people and sometimes we're sometimes at, at a really deep level we're really quite insecure about radical freedom mm. Because there's, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of possibilities with that. Yeah, a lot of danger. Um, love and kindness. So I just was thinking about the retreat that we ran on the Gold Coast yeah. a few months ago. It was and great. It was great. And the breathing exercise that Ben had us do, um, uh, which you weren't there for. No, I, I was asleep. You were asleep doing a different kind of I breathing. My, I had my son's 21st and I was four, <laughs> so I, I did have an excuse. A different kind of breathing exercise you were doing. So um, one of the really interesting things was, so one of the guys there um, had this 
profound experience of love in that thing. So, um, you know, an engineer, so a very rational kind of guy, a very measured kind of guy, but as he kind of surrendered into this breathing exercise and really um, let, let, it go, go. let it go, yeah. what, what he dove into was this experience of love. So he came out of that with just all he wanted to do was hug everyone there. All he wanted to do was call his wife to be with his kids, like the people that mattered, yeah, just this overwhelming sense of yeah. all, all I have inside me is love. So the deeper he went into wherever he went, the, the deeper experience of love. Um, and he said to me afterwards, he said, like, spirituality is something I've never explored. I've always written it off. So he was the first category of just going, mm, yeah, you know, right. weird, don't touch it. Yep. Um, but he said, I feel like I'm missing out on something. I feel like there's this realm that I've never explored. Yeah. So where would, where would you start, Jamie? And he says, like, what, how do I find God? Um, I said, well, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the ways God is described in the Bible is that God is love. So uh, if you were to surrender into that love, that loving kindness and go explore that, um, you will find more of whatever you're looking for down that that road in that space. Beautiful. And it won't just be good for you. Beautiful. It'll be good for everyone around you. 100%. So that's, yeah, that's a really interesting place to to wrap this up. And Yeah, great place. um, Loving kindness. Loving kindness. Uh, all right, cool. Look forward to the next conversation. Uh, if you've got questions for Greg or you'd like to have him talk into certain subjects about spirituality, let us know and we'll make sure to include that on the next conversation. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. The aim of the game is to show up to life unhindered by doubt, fear and insecurity so that you can be at your best where it matters most. Now, if you're ready to begin the work of becoming unhindered in your life, the Unhindered Short Course is an eight-part video series designed to help you do exactly that. And at only $99 for a limited time, it's an offer too good to refuse. For more information, go to theinsecurityproject.com.